On any given day, you'll find people jogging, walking, or biking here along the Hudson River in Manhattan. Over the past several years, elected officials, waterfront advocates, and community leaders throughout the metropolitan region have done a lot of work to reclaim waterfronts long blocked by obsolete industrial plants, highways, or other obstacles. But their work is far from complete. Good morning. I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape. On this morning's show, we're diving into a whole host of issues impacting the region's waterfronts, from land use to environmental concerns to preservation. Glad you're with us for Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. We begin this morning in Brooklyn. Kaomi Getz has the story of how some Williamsburg residents created a waterfront sanctuary in their neighborhood. Mike Masha is on break from his job selling beer in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. This is my getaway. This is the peace and serenity that I need to relax. Masha is referring to Grand Ferry Park. It's a one-and-a-half-acre grassy area that opens up to the East River facing Manhattan. It wasn't always the peaceful oasis it is today. Activist Elisa Torres remembers a different picture. And this was like a dumping site. Everybody dumped everything here. Car, old cars, you had to see. Torres has been a community activist here for decades. She says the riverfront next to the Domino Sugar Factory became a trash site, mostly for people who didn't live here. And she says the city turned a blind eye. The kids came and with their hands and the little material that we had tools, you know, we began to clean. In 1974, neighbors from the mostly Latino community and an advocacy group, the Parks Council, created an unofficial park using recycled materials. At the time, Williamsburg was a dangerous haven for crime and drugs. It was the poorest Latino neighborhood in the state. Residents needed a place to relax. They felt ignored by city leaders. The nearest park was McCarran, at least a dozen blocks away. So tourists and others rounded up the area's young people and cleared away the rubble. Uh, We began to have concerts here. And the community was so happy. They had a place to come that they didn't have to walk so far to, to, to Macarian, you know. And then people began to come here and have picnic tables over there. It was like a family environment. The one and a half acres of Riverfront were a rare public access point to the water in Williamsburg. In the 19th century, it served as a landing for the Grand Street Ferry, and the park later took that name. An early developer envisioned Williamsburg, a residential suburb, and started a ferry service in 1802. It shuffled farm goods and passengers from Brooklyn to Manhattan's Lower East Side. The steam ferry began in 1818. Pfizer Pharmaceutical and Havermeyer's and Elder Sugar Refineries sprang up near the water. But a century later, the ferry stopped, and the landing became an eyesore. Activist Luis Garden Acosta began a high school for human rights called El Puente in 1982. He and the students got involved, and the park became an official city park in 1997. Acosta's students helped create the park's current day design. Acosta explains what the kids had in mind. They wanted no barriers, nothing between them and the shore, rocks, and river. So there is nothing here. There's no barrier, no gate, nothing. You can walk right onto those parks and jump into the water. 
Cobblestones from Old Grand Street were used, shade trees were planted, and rocks were brought in. Today, Acosta says the park attracts people from various backgrounds, from Jewish teens to Latinos to Williamsburg hipsters. But there are still challenges. There's the nuclear storage facility within view of the park, and a power generator stands right next door that creates deafening noise and toxic air. And the city's parks are scheduled to take a 5% cut in the mayor's budget. That could mean fewer repairs and less park upkeep. But the same community that brought Grand Ferry Park to life will most likely make sure it stays a neighborhood oasis. I'm Kaomi Getz, WFUV News. Joining us now to talk more about the Brooklyn waterfront and waterfronts throughout the region is Roland Lewis. Roland is the president and CEO of the Metropolitan Waterfront Alliance. Good morning, Roland. Good morning, George. Also with us is Philip Musigas. He's the Hudson River Program Director for Riverkeeper. Hey, Philip. Hi, George. And Linda Cox is with us. Linda is the Executive Director of the Bronx River Alliance. Good morning, Linda. Good morning. Let's go around the room here and just find out a little bit about each of your organizations. Philip, tell us about Riverkeeper. Well, we've been around for about, uh, in one form or another, for about 40 years. We started as a commercial fishermen's organization. They were concerned about power plants and other impacts on, on Hudson River fisheries. And then we kind of morphed into a, more of a direct environmental organization. And our our mission is really to protect the ecological integrity of the Hudson and to protect the New York City drinking water supply. So we kind of have two parallel focuses. One is uh, pollution enforcement on the Hudson, working to improve public access on the Hudson, working on development issues. And then the other piece, our watershed program deals just with New York City drinking water supply, which as a lot of people know, it comes from uh, the Catskill and Delaware watersheds. Roland, tell us about the Metropolitan Waterfront Alliance. Well, we're an alliance of 385, as of yesterday, organizations, everyone from the big New York Shipping Association based in New Jersey to the Little Sebago Canoe Club based out in Canarsie, Brooklyn, all dedicated to improving the waterfront in one way or another for jobs, for recreation, for uh, environmental reasons. It was created because our waterfront is just not as accessible. New York is a great city, but we don't have a great waterfront. And this is a moment in time when industry has changed, when highways and railroads and transportation is changing. We have a moment when we can actually reclaim that waterfront, connect people to the water that surrounds them. I, I actually I live in Flatbush, which is sort of landlocked but in the middle of Brooklyn, but my neighbors are all from islands in the Caribbean mostly. And uh, we could as well just live in Idaho for as much as we connect to the water that's only a couple miles away. So in, in, in short, we're just trying to make this waterfront ours again through great recreation and access. We're going to talk much more about access issues in the moments ahead, but let's check in with Linda Cox and hear about the Bronx River Alliance. Well, the Bronx River Alliance is a partnership organization. Again, many partners, 100 different organizations that are a part of it. We serve as a coordinated voice for the Bronx River and really seek to make the Bronx River a resource in every respect that it can be. It's as an economic resource, as an ecological resource, as a recreational resource and a health resource in a part of the city that is so in need of of all of those um, qualities. The Bronx River is actually the only freshwater river in New York City. It runs eight miles uh, through the heart of the Bronx. So capturing it as a resource has tremendous potential for, for everybody who lives anywhere near it, as well as the wildlife that have settled along it, like Jose the Beaver, for example. <laughs> The first beaver to live in the Bronx River in, what, two centuries? The first beaver to live in New York City in at least two centuries. So pretty remarkable and uh, kind of a pretty clear endorsement that we must be doing some good, having some success. Roland, what are the biggest stumbling blocks to reclaiming more of the waterfront in the region? 
I think uh, twofold. Uh, we, we've hit on uh, both of them a little bit. Uh, water quality, what the, the Riverkeeper works so hard on, and also uh, the Bronx River Alliance to make sure that it's uh, we live up to the, uh, the the letter and the spirit of the Clean Water Act and make our waters fishable and swimmable. And once that is done, the recreation that you see spawning on the on the Bronx River and elsewhere, there's uh, there are now 15 paddling clubs in the metropolitan area, up from about one about uh, seven years ago. Uh, will will continue to bloom, and people will start to uh, use it more and more. And then access. It's remarkable how hard it is to get from the water to the land in New York and, and vice versa from the land to the water. It's really a, 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 a tragedy and a, and, a, and a scandal. What's preventing that access? There's just no facilities. The, the docking facilities that are, are uh, that used to be so prevalent are not there anymore. They've de- they degraded, declined, and gone away. We used to, in New York City, uh, and it's true also in the Jersey side as well, used to have a Department of Ports and Terminals, which was there just for, it was more for shipping, it was, but, it, but it was there to maintain piers and uh, bulkheads that could be used for uh, uh, shipping and, and, and did a good job. There's nothing like that anymore for recreation. So we have to start to reinvent that for the new uses that are coming to the waterfront and also for shipping as well. We forget how important that we, are, we live on islands. We're on a peninsula now, but we're, uh, you know, the rest of New York and the area is on islands. At 9-11, during the blackout, transit strike, all three times, people, hundreds of thousands of people had to be evacuated by water. Boats had to sidle up. They had to use an acetylene torch to cut open some of the, uh, of, of the uh, fencing that uh, separated uh, the, the esplanade uh, from, during 9-11. That can't be. This is a matter of public safety as well, uh, to have a boat-friendly uh, waterfront. So in times of emergency, God forbid, we should have it. And in times for just for fun and recreation and for uh, and also use our waterways as highways, get trucks off the road, clean, the, clean our ear as well as the water by... Uh, uh, using uh, our, our blue highways for, for so for all all these many reasons, access is probably the, one of the most important things. Philip, let me ask you this question: If we are to increase ferry service along our waterways, wouldn't that increase noise and air pollution on the water? That is a valid concern. That that you know, if you increase the amount of uh, of ships using diesel fuel on the on the river, that that can have some side effects that are not positive. But I think you know the river is underutilized, and it's ironic because I think we've come kind of full circle since especially since the turn of the last century, that, you know, the river was used as a dumping ground. And so once that became apparent to everyone, especially in New York City, everyone turned away from the Hudson, turned away from the East River. And you saw in the 1960s and 70s these, you know, this perception that, you know, you wouldn't put a finger in the river, much less swim in it or kayak in it. And now that the perception has come back around that the river is much cleaner, people are boating and paddling. I mean, we have, uh, there's a Long Island City paddling club that regularly has trips in Newtown Creek. There's people that paddle in the Gowanus, which, you know, those are heavily polluted waterways. So the perception is swinging back the other way, and you also see people, there's a huge demand for people to live on the waterfront, um, of course, in New York City and also on the upper Hudson and mid-Hudson. So, But it, I think with the, uh, you know, the question of, of increased vessel traffic, I think it just, you know, you have to promote greener technologies, and we have to support that, and I think we have to get that support from the state and and uh, municipal governments to provide incentives to transition to those technologies. Linda, I can't necessarily see ferries on the Bronx River, but is that waterway easy to navigate if you want to take out a kayak or a canoe, or are there access issues there as well? There's certainly access issues, but one of the reasons why uh, you do see people coming out in small boats so much on the Bronx River now is that it is 
a river that it's a little easier to experience it and take advantage of it in some ways. There are areas where you can come right down to the edge of the water and um, experience it as a more of a natural experience than in um, some other parts of the city and uh, city waterways. Nonetheless, uh, we do a lot of work on access and our we are in the process really of creating an eight mile long greenway of paths and parkland along the full length of the river so that all along the river, there are places that people can come to it and really take advantage of it. Just want to speak to just a minute on this issue of um, of the kind of tension there is between you know increasing the traffic on the river and then on the other hand keeping it or making it safe for people to enjoy it. If we get into a real either or approach to this, people in some areas are going to really lose on that, and we're going to lose the economic advantages, too, of using our waterways for transport. We have a wonderful new park in Hunts Point, for example, Hunts Point Riverside Park. It is sitting right next to a uh, metals and plastics recycling business. Barges come in and out of that business. In the past, people would have tended to say, Hunts Point, it's very important for industry. You've got barges coming in and out. You've got trucks coming in and out. This is not a place where people should be enjoying the waterfront. Well, we'll never have any kind of social justice for people who live in areas like that if we really settle for that kind of an answer. And so instead, we really work towards, let's, we want it all. Let's have this wonderful park on the waterfront, which we have now, and let's have that uh, recycling business there because that's good for New York City. And the fact that there is a barge coming in and out is certainly preferable to having trucks coming in and out of there. So instead, it is really to search for those green solutions. And as a matter of fact, the business there, Sims Metal Management, is making great strides in really setting a standard for a green industry right there. That's what we have to be aiming for and supporting and applauding as it happens. Because otherwise, just certain neighborhoods in the, in the city will just be written off in terms of their um, opportunities for waterfront access. I just wanted to add that you know Linda uh, is uh, is sort of a leader of a th- the third way uh, you know and I, I've seen it up there in the in the Bronx with it where they're embracing and and combining recreational and in- industrial and also I was on a uh, tour of the Brooklyn Greenway which is an emerging greenway down in from Newtown Creek all the way down to Sunset Park and there too they're bringing this bike path and uh, a, you know green and uh, access to uh, an area that hasn't been but embracing and understanding that. The Brooklyn Navy Yard is there, and uh, that uh, those jobs are important for the neighborhood. And it, they're, so they're not trying to uh, the, the people who are trying to create parks and, and access are actually working with the in, industrial users to to find common ground and ways these things can coexist. Which I think is just what's what was very strong centered what the Waterfront Alliance is about, and I think this is is the way we have to move forward in this area. Roland, how would you describe the state of the working waterfront in the New York New Jersey area? surprisingly robust in some parts, but always threatened. I love shopping at Ikea as much as the next guy, but they happen to build an Ikea right on the waterfront in Red Hook, right over an an active graving dock, and there's a need for ship repair facilities. A graving dock is a large ship repair facility in New York. So even in this time of economic uh, recession, the Navy Yard has 99 percent. Uh, they're, they're, they're filled up to the top. The Greenpoint Industrial uh, uh, Project up uh, has uh, a new building they're opening. There's actually a need for industrial space. So I, I'd say it needs to be nurtured. The, the real threat to uh, that, that is um, uh, residential development. It, it, it spikes up land values and will squeeze out more 
uh, more and more of these businesses, especially maritime business. I think we need to make a concerted effort to protect these uh, because, A, we need the maritime industry for shipping and everything else, we, for all the stuff we get, and, B, we need a diversified economy. As we've, If we haven't learned that lesson in the last uh, year and a half, we never will. Uh, it's, it, they, these kind of good blue-collar jobs are gold, and we need to retain them. As far as those residential developments that are sprouting up along the waterfront mm-hmm. in the region, here in New York City, are there requirements that those developers have to provide some accessibility to the public to that waterfront? Well, there's waterfront zoning that, that, that requires that, and it's actually been uh, revised, in, and I think in a very intelligent and progressive way to provide uh, for, uh, so you don't just have what uh, I've sometimes termed esplanadia, very banal and sometimes almost privatized uh, waterfront, but places where you can have commercial places to have a bite to eat and get downs where you can actually get to the water. So that that is required. Uh, New, on the New Jersey side, they've uh, they've had a, a, a great success with a statute that requires them to do that, and they've, they've created a, uh, a long uh, walkway and esplanade from uh, from the George Washington Bridge all the way down to Bayonne. So that is part of it, but uh, I think the new new version uh, under leadership of Amanda Burden of the our waterfront zoning will do an even better job of uh, creating amenities. That way. There's a lot of interest right now in residential development along the Gowanus Canal in Brooklyn. And, Philip, you referenced the Gowanus earlier. The federal government is looking into declaring the Gowanus a Superfund site, but there is a lot of controversy about that. There are folks who are saying, don't do it. It will create a stigma and no one's going to want to live along the Gowanus. Philip, what do you have to say about that? Well, we support the Superfund listing, uh, and it, it's a uh, it, you know I also acknowledge it's a controversial subject, and I think um, you know there is there is de- clearly development pressure coming from Park Slope, I think, and in, into the Gowanus area that you know it, what used to be a lower rent and a, and, a, and an industrial area now is you know is looking to be regentrified. So that is an issue. Uh, you know, I think this the developer is trying to make this connection automatically between the Superfund listing. And this and this kind of stalling development, killing development is maybe not entirely accurate because I think historically it's it's widely known that the Gowanus is heavily polluted. I think whether it is listed as a Superfund site or not in the immediate future, uh, those pollution concerns are going to remain. And so I think that you know developers came in probably with that understanding that that, that there's a public perception that it is polluted. The fact remains that if it is listed on Superfund, and I think the listing will go ahead. Uh, what the the EPA has has proposed listing it in their soliciting public comments. I think through the middle of July, and then they'll probably make a decision a couple of months after that. But from our perspective, and and we do have a, a water-based perspective, but for us, you know, we really think that in the long term, cleaning up the waterway and ensuring that it's a clean environment that that people are going to live in in the city is the best way to lead towards economic development. So. Long-term economic vitality, I think, depends on these waterways being cleaned up. Newtown Creek between Brooklyn and Queens is also up for Superfund designation. Is there also controversy there? There hasn't seemed to have been the same level of controversy. I think uh, Newtown Creek is actually in a different stage of the process. Uh, the EPA is still doing the kind of the environmental assessment and uh, you know collecting information, collecting scientific data on the uh, on on the pollution that's actually in the creek. And I think Newtown Creek, while it does, you know, it, it is feeling that that neighborhood of Greenpoint and, and even over to Williamsburg, you know, those are feeling development pressure. It's not the same, I think, residential development pressure that the Gowanus is feeling. Newtown Creek, uh, from what we've seen, there is still an active enough industrial, you know, industrial businesses on the creek. Linda, the southern section of the Bronx is void of waterfront access. Would you say that's the area that has the least waterfront access in all of New York City? 
I might not be in a good position to compare it with all of New York City, but it's certainly a very real issue for the Bronx. And uh, we certainly are making some progress. Hunts Point Riverside Park is a um, gorgeous, though, small park on the Bronx River. And around on the other side of uh, the Hunts Point Peninsula, uh, Parks Department has also created another wonderful park uh, called Barreto Point Park, where the floating pool will be back this summer. So um, I think the Parks Department has really um, been making some real strides in adding green space, and that's a definite part of the idea of the Bronx River Greenway is both to create parks in locations. A third park that should be coming online this summer is the Concrete Plant Park, a real wonderful example of, yep, former concrete plant went out of business. The city was able to claim it for parkland with the help of a lot of community organizations that really fought for that. And again, with their involvement and with the involvement of the Alliance, the Parks Department is really creating um, that park there, and it should open soon. So that's really uh, making a real difference, I think. I'd like to just comment on a Another element of this uh, issue of water quality, in places like Newtown Creek and Gowanus Canal, of course, you really are very aware of the idea of this toxic stew, and there's got to be bad guys behind it all, and, and I'm sure there are. But throughout the city in our waterways, we have another issue, and we feel this very directly in the Bronx River, where the problem is all of us. And what goes into our storm drains, which seem very benign to people, you know, so you drop a little trash or a little oil leaks into these storm drains, and what's the problem? Um, there's no problem until it rains, and the storm drain system is designed so that that the fluids in the storm drains head towards um, sewage treatment plants. Works really well until it rains, and then it floods that system. It overwhelms the system. And all that raw sewage goes right into the waterways. Yes, and That's not just right. from the storm drains, but the sewage itself. So we, these are these CSOs, Combined Sewer Outfalls. We have five of them in the Bronx River. They are our most critical source of pollution now for the Bronx River that's not already being addressed by enforcement actions. It's legal. It's, well, it's debatable, actually, in terms of the Clean Water Act. It's definitely a problem that we've got to solve as a city. And the solution is going to probably be in something that doesn't come real naturally to New York City, and that is through a thousand decentralized solutions, capturing rainwater wherever we can and giving it a chance to soak into the ground where it can do some good or soak into the earth on a green roof where it can do some good rather than heading into the storm drain system. Roland, are these sewage overflows the reason that we just can't swim in the Hudson, we can't swim in the Bronx River when we want to? Without doubt. That's when After it rains, it's... Uh... It is a uh, whatever we put in the drain gets out right into the water, and you don't want to be around it. Roland, is there concern that during this recession, that budget cuts will impact many of the planned improvements for the waterfront, particularly for the large park developments? That's certainly a great concern. The, uh, the Governor's Island is, uh, and uh, the Brooklyn Bridge Park and others. Mm-hmm. I think there, the I don't want to call it a silver lining, but the the one probably. Uh, um, positive thing about the recession in the New York area in terms of the waterfront is that the rush to development has, has abated. The real estate boom created uh, almost every waterfront property a gold mine in the eyes of developers, and that is not happening now. So I think we have a chance to breathe and uh, think about what we want our waterfront to be like. We're running out of time here, so let me just give Philip the last word. We need uh, broad outreach and support from the public that uh, the public that's using these waterways and the public that would like to use them and would like to find out more about them. And 
there's so many different ways to get involved. You know, find out the work we're doing. I think that's a great way to start. Find out what their elected officials' positions are on these issues and uh, really get out on the river as much as they can and get out on the waterfront and find out why we are so interested in in preserving and and working on these issues. Because once you get out there, you really see uh, you really see what an amazing resource it is. Philip Musikas is the Hudson River Program Director for Riverkeeper. Philip, thank you. Thank you. Also want to thank Roland Lewis, the President and CEO of the Metropolitan Waterfront Alliance. Thank you, Roland. My pleasure. And Linda Cox, the Executive Director of the Bronx River Alliance. Linda, thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Sailing down my dirty stream Still I love it And I'll keep the dream That someday Though maybe not this year My Hudson River Will once again run clear You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. If our discussion so far this morning has inspired you to explore the waters surrounding the five boroughs, you may want to check out the New York City Water Trail. The trail connects 160 square miles of rivers, bays, creeks, inlets, and ocean for people who want to kayak, canoe, or row around the city. Queens Parks Commissioner Dottie Lewandowski helped to create the trail. It was an exciting project involving all the um, volunteer groups who uh, kayak and canoe the water in New York City. So when we started the project two years ago, there were 13 sites listed as locations where you could launch uh, or land a canoe safely in New York City, a canoe or a kayak. We're now up to 38 sites. So with volunteer efforts, we've identified and scouted out and um, created locations that have just um, expanded the trail. And we're very excited about this because it's, you know, it's a dynamic project. And as new development happens around the city, everyone keeps nominating locations that we should consider. And um, we see this expanding as uh, the years go by. You're an enthusiastic kayaker yourself, right? You know, my husband and I started kayaking about seven years ago, and often we're paddling much of the waters not in New York City, um, going to Long Island and the Upper Hudson and and elsewhere outside. And that's how we got uh, interested in the idea of a water trail in New York City, as we started looking around to see where one could paddle. As we began speaking to various groups throughout the city, uh, many of us started saying, would it be interesting if we created a trail within the city? And fortunately, in my position as being Parks Commissioner in the Borough of Queens, and given the uh, the leadership under Commissioner Adrian Benepe, and thankfully have a mayor who supports these initiatives around New York City, Mayor Michael Bloomberg, uh, was given the green light to work on this project. Now, you can't launch a canoe or kayak from anywhere in the five boroughs. You only can do it at designated locations, right? Well, that's true. I mean, for us in New York City parks, we do require that you have a permit. And many of the partners who are on our um, the water trail, particularly the... Um, the federal government, their sites require permits also. We do have some partners who are um, on private lands where you wouldn't necessarily need a permit. But if you go to the park's website, it does outline all of the um, the locations where you can launch or land safely. It re- um, links you up to all the various links of um, resources that if you were looking for information about canoeing or kayaking safely. And it also has a link to all the clubs and organizations throughout New York City where if you wanted to partner or or just uh, demo a, a canoe or kayak for the day, many of the groups offer for the public on weekends or evenings uh, a period where you can go out and, um, you know, get your feet wet and get in a boat and experience what New York City waters are like. Have you paddled all 160 square miles on this trail map? <laughs> I wish I can say that I have. 
I have not yet, but it's exciting because each of the groups call me regularly and invite me out. So, for example, in May, this month and another week, I'm going out with the Staten Island group. And from South Beach, I'll be um, hitting the waters in that area. And in the first uh, Friday in June, I'm going out with the Long Island City Boathouse to paddle some of the waters on the East River. What can you see along these trails that you can't see from the shore? Well, you know, it's interesting for us. I mean, particularly anyone who loves the environment. You know, it's twofold. You you, you see the, the birds and the various wildlife, but you also get a view of New York City, either natural lands or, or hardscape, particularly the skyline of New York City from the water, which is a vantage point that many people don't often get an opportunity to take in. So either, you know, with many of these clubs who offer these paddles that you can go out on, for example, there is a group, Sebago Canoe and Kayak Club, that in Brooklyn take you out into the waters of Jamaica Bay on a regular basis. And when you're out in the bay, it's this rather natural area of Jamaica Bay, but in the sky, in the background, you do see the skyline of Manhattan. So you get this real stark contrast of these natural areas of the marshlands with the Manhattan skyline behind you, and it's just absolutely gorgeous. You mentioned, Commissioner, that the administration is behind you on these efforts, but what are the biggest stumbling blocks to creating more launch sites and making sure the waterways are navigable? Well, I mean, most, all of the waters are navigable. The question is, you know, you, you want to make sure that you're offering safe locations for people to put in and take out. So that's where, with all the various partners that we work with, we, we really assess the sites to make sure that um, we're looking at locations that offer the best opportunity for people to, to safely sit on a canoe and get into the water or kayak and, and have a, a, a paddling opportunity that is safe. You know, there's always tides, there's always currents, so that anyone who goes on the water, any type of boater, needs to take lessons uh, and, and courses so that you understand the water bodies. And once you become aware of that and more skilled, you know, your, your opportunities are, are endless in the New York City waters. Commissioner Lewandowski, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, and I hope to see you out on the water. Dottie Lewandowski is the Queens Parks Commissioner. You can learn more about the New York City Water Trail on the Parks Department's website. That's at nycgovparks.org. This morning, Cityscape on Waterfronts comes to you as part of WFUV's new Strike a Court campaign. You can find out more about that at wfuv.org backslash strike a court. I'm George Boldarki. We hope you have some time to get out on, or at least by, the water this weekend.